theyeshiva.net. Page 132. The second column, close to the end of the Maimon, the line starts The line starts after all of this, and the word kolza is important, after all of this, in other words, after discussing and explaining and elaborating on all of the aspects that have been discovered and explored, analyzed in this particular Maimelav and in Yelecha Mishnah, after all of this, all of this means the nature of benching, the two brachas, the nature of lechem in Haaretz, the nature of lechem in Hashamayim, the man and Moshe, the nature of toyu tikun and akudim, the concept of the first two blessings of Berches HaMazen and their differences between them, including the difference between Bracha and Hoidah. <laughs> and then finally the concept of Shabbos and the reason that the man would not come down on Shabbos. So you have Lechem in the Aretz and then in the Midbar you have Lechem in Hashemayim, which is the man, which comes down every single day. On Friday you have a double portion for Shabbos, but it's not ultimately on Shabbos. You have to collect Erev Shabbos for Shabbos. So therefore, the man itself will not come down on Shabbos, because Shabbos is not the man, Shabbos is deeper than the man. But the man will come down for Shabbos, so you have Lechem in Aretz, Lechem in HaShamayim, and then you have the concept of Shabbos, which is even deeper than the man. So after explaining all of this, we could now understand the deeper meaning of the Lechem Mishnah, the two loaves of bread, that there's an obligation, a rabbinic obligation to take on Shabbos. Like the Gemara says in Shabbos, that there's a mitzvah liftzoyah, there's a mitzvah, that on the meals of Shabbos we take two loaves of bread, which we call Lechem Mishnah. And the reason we call it Lechem Mishnah, the term Lechem Mishnah means double, double, a double portion of bread, which comes from Parshas B'Shalach, where it says that on Friday they went out, Veloktu Lechem Mishnah, they gathered a double portion of manna, a double portion, and they came to Moshe Rabbeinu surprised and shocked. What is going on? And Moshe said that tomorrow, by Yom Hashvi, the seventh day, there won't be man. And therefore, everything got to be done today in the first portion, of course, but also in the second portion. And they gathered Lechemishna. So therefore, as a zecher to the man, we don't eat one challah on Shabbos. We actually eat two challahs on Shabbos. The two challahs on Shabbos are what? For the poor double portion that came down. Now here you have a klotzkasha. Why are we celebrating Shabbos by eating two loaves of bread? One loaf of bread was the Friday man. Right? We don't ask these questions at this age. Why do we need Lechemishna in the morning? Huh? Why do we need Lechemishna in the morning? Okay, so you mean uh, Shabbos morning? No, that's not Shabbos. Friday night is the same question. The man didn't come down Friday night. It came down Friday early morning. But the question is, why Lechem Mishnah? One Lechem belonged to Friday. That was every day. The Pshat is Lechayda. That itself you want to show. That on Friday there was a double portion, so we're simply technically commemorating it. But when you think about it, it's not like the double portion was for Shabbos. For Shabbos there was an extra portion. Well, there was a, there was a, there was, wasn't on Shabbos a double portion. Friday also gets breakfast. Friday deserves breakfast too. He, he didn't have Friday night just two, because he ate up the first one on Friday. That's, that, practically speaking, in the midbar there was no Lechem Mishnah. Because they already had to feed the family on Friday. So what were they left with Shabbos? One portion. <laughs> so we're celebrating and connoting how Shabbos informs the week. And basically yeah. Is, is, yeah. So there was no meal Friday night. Uh, Bechlal, they don't. Uh, Bechlal, healthy people don't eat at night. Don't you know that? Was gluten free. Once the sun sets, the body asks for you to also set. The American Heart Association just came out talking with such a hurrah. Baruch Shakivanti. About the dangers of nighttime. Imamis just came out last. Baruch Shakivanti. Wow. You could see it almost. The sun sets. It almost asks of you to right. go into a different mode. But we in America, that's when we ish start eating. 10 o'clock at night, you come to a chas, a sheva brachas, and they start eating. And better even 1 o'clock in the morning. Yeah? That's when we start eating. Breakfast, lunch, who has to eat? But in the midbar, they lived organically. Okay, so, so, uh, calls them moving in And he's going to focus here on one fascinating detail. Al pinigla, al gabezu. 
When you look in halacha, in halachas of lacha mishnah, the system is you put one challah above another challah. What's called the elyon and the tachtan. Now there's a question in Paiskim, which one you cut, right? Some cut the elyon, some cut the tachtan. There's a lot of different menhagim in this. The top bread, there's also a question, where in the bread do you cut? That's another question. Which bread and where in the bread you cut? Which part? The top, the bottom, the side. But the common denominator is one challah is above another challah. So that's why you'll have, you'll see Shabbos tables and Lecha Mishnah pictures that are of course made before Shabbos. One challah will be tilted on top of the other challah. One challah is under the challah. That's Alpi Nigla Pi Allah. And yet, in Priyat Chaim, Reb Chaim Vital records the custom of his teacher, the Arizal, that he would have Dafke Ze The two Lecha Mishnahs were not above each other, but near each other. And not only that, pick up the two Lecha Mishnahs, that the two backs would hit each other. So basically, what was facing you was the top of the Chala. The bottom of the Chala would be close to each other, right? So you wouldn't even see the bottom of the challah, you would only see what we call the ponum of the challah, the face of the challah, when the challahs are both lying on the tray, whatever they're lying on, so then you just have two challahs near each other. But then also bring them close together, equally, like so to speak, like two luchas, like two, close together, the back-to-back touching, and what you see is the front of the challah. So, the two bottoms. The two bottoms. The two bottoms. Yeah. Yeah. When making the bracha, we're talking about? Yeah. But generally, the two chalas will lay near each other, not on top of each other. So the, What's Aleph of Yud, Bechinas, Aleph of Yud? Or Yasha, that's what we're going to do. So what's the Havana in this? So you'll say, okay, it's a different minhik. It's not pshat. Here, the Balatanya is going to show that sometimes, generally in Yiddishkeit, in small nuanced details, even though they're nuanced and they seem not so significant or pivotal, but they reflect sometimes cosmic truths. Now, in ancient times, that would be in, maybe in previous years it would be something of a little bit, a bit of a little something it would be uh, a little strange or difficult to understand. Today we know how true that is. For example, it says Adam. So Chazal say the Torah can be compared to the human organism, and the human organism can be compared to the Torah. So the body consists of, say, approximately 50 trillion cells or more. So you understand how tiny a cell is if you're in your body, there are 50 trillion cells. In each cell, you have what we call the code, the genetic code of the entire organism. Each cell in and of itself, in other words, reflects the totality of the organism, the DNA code that is embedded in each and every one of the 50 or more trillion cells has in it the computer program, the code of the entire body. That means all you need to know is, all you need to have is one cell. And the one cell reflects everything. The same as in Torah. In Torah, when you get to the one tiny little cell doesn't seem central at all to anything. But nonetheless, it captures within it the entire organism. Of course, you have to be able to know how to look at the cell, how to decipher the cell, how to uncover the cell. And then, of course, you could see in one cell everything. So here you have a classic example for this. So discussion and nigla and kabbalah, there's different things that kabbalah would do one way, and the halachists would do a different way. You have a lot of different things. This is how they do it. Al pi halach, and this is how it's done. Al pi kabbalah. Tfilin chal hamoyet, right? Tfilin chal hamoyet. Okay, the Zoyar is very against putting on Tefillin Chalamayat. Very sharp words, very sharp words. Right? In the world of Nigla, it's not so poshit. Right? There's plenty of Yidin, Yireyim, Mushlemim who put on Tefillin Chalamayat. There was one thing uh, the, uh, in the days of the tremendous opposition to the early Hasidim and the Alter Rebbe especially, this was one thing they couldn't criticize him for because the Vilna Gon also didn't put on Tzil and Chalamayit. So because he didn't put on Tzil and so they couldn't, this was one thing they had to, because uh, he also didn't put on Tzil and Chalamayit, because he was a Zohar Jew, he was a Kabbalah Jew. Chaim Valajan writes that he wrote, he learned, he spent more time learning Kabbalah than he learned, than learning Nigla, the Vilna Gon, this is. He spent more time learning Kabbalah than learning Nigla, the Shas, Poiskim, Allah, etc. 
It's very interesting. Student resident, Chaim Velazhin. So you have a situation where there's different, there's different views. So here you have one of them. How Lecha Mishnah should be. What he's going to show is that these are not just two separate views. They represent, like the DNA, this little cell captures very profound truth that has been articulated throughout this mime. So the cloning And both are true. There's the world of Niglin, there's the world of Kloning. Both are equally true. It's not, this is not about a competition. This is about a perspective on reality. This is real and this is real. And each is real in its own context, in its own place, in its own time, etc. So many realities. Huh. 2,000 Jews, you can have 2,000 minhagim, each one has, represents... If it's a real minhag. Cosmic... Uh, if it's a real minhag. What do they say? It's brought in Paiskin that minhag is all tairahu. Yeah? Taisva says that. Minhag is all tairahu. It's also brought in Rishayim that minhag is Gehenna. You know that? Minhag is the same letters like Gehenna. So when do you look at a minhag and you say it's Torah, and when do you look at a minhag and you say it's Gehenna? So the literal interpretation, the sociological interpretation is it depends. If it's my minhag, it's Torah. If it's your minhag, it's Gehenna. If it's your wife's family's minhag, then it's Gehenna. If it's your own minhag, then it's of course Torah. That's on one level, yeah? On a deeper level, of course, the question of the nature of a minhag. In the name of calling something a minhag, sometimes people do stupid things and sometimes do oppressive things. It's a minhag. What's a minhag? It's stupidity. It's not a minhag. It's called abuse. Don't call it a minhag. You have to know. Sometimes a minhag is Gehenna. Where is it rooted? Where did it develop? There's no hefkatas in Judaism. I decided on I am minhag because I'm in a bad mood. So I need another way to uh, oppress my family. So now we have a new minhag. We have a new minhag in our house. So everybody could be miserable, Baruch Hashem. It's not enough that they were miserable. Pesach, they have to be miserable. Shavuot, Sukkot, every Shabbos, and if you could be Moshev every day, so now everybody is miserable, because miserable people thrive in misery. So you have to understand, that's what I'm saying, it's important to distinguish. But if it's a genuine minig, then minig is all Tyro. You follow the Bale Halacha. Right. So they asked Al Rebbe this because he wrote a Shulchan Aruch. In the Shulchan Aruch, he kept it literally Shulchan Aruch. It's very fascinating how he did it. He, he completely remained consistent with the model of Shulchan Aruch, which is basically, it's Eastern Europe, so it's Ashkenazim, it's the Ramah. Ramah is the Paisik in, in Europe, in Krakow, and, um, and that's what he follows. Okay? He also wrote a Siddur. His Siddur, he put in instructions. It's not, it's not, over there he follows... He follows Kabbalah. So somebody asked him, one of the Hasidim, what are we supposed to do? So he said, you follow the Siddur. So he said, but in the Shulchan Aruch you said that when the Kabbalah argues with Halacha, you follow the Halacha. He said, because in Shulchan Aruch that's what I wrote. But in the Siddur you follow Kabbalah. <laughs> in the Shulchan Aruch I wrote that you don't follow Kabbalah because that's Shulchan Aruch, that's Halacha. In halacha, you follow halacha, not Kabbalah. But in Sifri HaKabbalah, you'll say, follow the Kabbalah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's a Gemara. That's a Gemara, Hilchus. So many Shmini Yeah. How come the Vilna Gwadim come and end up the same like the Hasidim? What's the question? He did not see the Kabbalah. Huh? <laughs> so Minigis is a is a locha or a minig? <laughs> <laughs> is an expression of Rishonim not to denigrate Minhagim, not to look not to look down at Minhagim. Minhagim have very profound truth to them, very profound connection to them. There's even an expression in one of the Rishonim, Minig Mavatal Halacha. A minig could be powerful. Again, you have to know what it means, what the context Somebody once said, how do you know minigam of atal halacha? Because the halacha is if you borrow money from somebody, you have to pay back. The minig is that you don't pay back. The charaya, that minigam of atal halacha, right? Okay. Kibchines nigla, because whenever you speak nigla, here he's speaking about nigla of Torah, but the concept of nigla, which means the revealed, kibchines ishtalshalos is always rooted in hishtalshalus, meaning in the hierarchy of existence. Pchines or yasha, which is the light, direct light, the linear light. Or yasha means the light that, so to speak, flows down in a straight 
kav from higher to lower to lower to lower to lower. There's a hierarchy of creation. There's a hierarchy of existence. Just like this Chachma and Bina and Das and Chesed and Gvurah, there's Machshavah, there's Dibur, there's Maisa, there's a father, there's a Zayda, there's an Elta Zayda, there's an Elta Elta Zayda. There's a higher, there's a process. There's Rashaychem Shavtechem, there's Chaytev Eitzachem Eshayev Meimecha, there's Eilam HaTzilas, there's Eilam HaBriya, there's Eilam HaYitzir, there's Eilam HaSiyah, there's Medaber, there's Chai, there's Tzaymeach, there's Doimem. The halachas that exist with people are not the halachas that exist with animals. The halachas that exist with animals, the halachas that exist with Tzaymeach. You can't compare Tzaymeach to Doimem. Everything has its place and its value in the hierarchy, in the system called Hishtalshalus, which basically means the chain. Hishtalshalus literally means a chain. Shalshalus. The chain or the evolutionary process of creation from its highest point to its lowest point. And when I mean highest and lowest, I don't mean geographically or spatial, I mean highest and lowest in terms of sensing its source or not sensing its source. So when you place one chala on top of another chala, this basically represents how Ishtalshalus works. There's higher and there's lower. There's one on top and then there's one on bottom. This is the concept called in Jewish philosophy, the works of the Rambam constantly, Elah and Olu. Elah is the antecedent to the Olu, which is the Olu of the Elah, the effect of the Elah. And everything in our world follows that pattern of Elah of Olu. You want to plant a tree, the antecedent of this beautiful apple tree was a seed. That seed is the Elyon, it's the cause, it's the mother, it's the father of the tree. That tree then becomes the antecedent for a new seed that is produced from the apple that grows on that tree. And then that seed will become the Elah for yet a new tree. And every apple tree that we look at, we can go back, trace it back to the first apple trees. It's cause and effect. Cause and effect, Elah va'alu. The Elah always precedes the Alu. The Alu follows the Elah, whether it's in time or it's in concept. The Elah is the Elyon and the Alul is the Tachtin. So the Rav is the Elah, the Talmud is the Tachtin, the father is the Elah, the, ch- the mother is the Elah, the child is the Alul, and so forth. The same is true spiritual realities. One is the source of the other. And that's generally the picture of Nigla Yiddishkeit. Yiddishkeit of Nigla works in a process of Elyon and Tachtin. There are priorities. There's higher, there's lower. There's always differentiations. Always differentiations. This is a time for this. This is a time for this. This is good. This is less good. This is bad. This is very good. This is exceptional. This is Yom Kippur. This is Erev Yom Kippur. This is a regular Wednesday. This is Shabbos. This is Yom Tif. And it has its category. This is a Talmud Chacham. This is not a Talmud. Everything works in terms of Elah Va'ol. Just like in a body as well. The nigla of the body also operates on that level. There's an organism and there's a system and there's a hierarchy. And you're going to dethrone your brain and decide that the brain already did its tenure and it's time to retire the brain because the kidney wants to come to power. It's not going to look so geschmack, probably. So therefore you have ila and all of this is called ur yasher. Upchines nister, upchines ur Nister introduces what's called ur Eurchhäuser means the light that bounces back. Not the Eur that goes down, the Eur that comes back. Chhäuser means it rebounds. It rebounds. When you're playing a racquetball, so then you shoot the ball, but then there's the momentum that's created from the way that the ball hits the hits the wall and it rebounds that sometimes creates new dynamics in the game that don't exist initially. That's what's called the ur that comes back, the ur that's choyzer. It's the feedback, it's the echo. It's what returns to you from when the ur hits, the makabal hits the recipient. That's not ur yashar, which is the direct light that flows down. It's the ur choyzer. So he says, nister generally is associated with ur choyzer, aliyas where the Eiris ascend Lius Eilus Venechlolis Betachlis Aiskalalus Bebchines Makif Akloli Kanal. A whole week the Eir goes down in an extroverted way, Melmaila Lamata, to create the world. 
took six days for God to create heaven and earth. Uvayoy the seventh day, Shavas. All the energy now goes up. This is the Urchoyzer. It's the Ur that returns. After you work, it's what comes back into you. So now the Ur goes up and it becomes included in the ultimate inclusion in what we call Makif HaKloli, the collective encompassing reality that includes everything, but includes absolutely no differentiation, even beyond HaKudim. So Nister, which represents that Aliyah Sa'ir, and over there, it's a makif akloli that everything becomes equal. Maila and mata, mitam zu zu So therefore, it's not Nigla says this, Kabbalah says this. It's tzarich. Mitzad, this energy, it warrants that the two chalas have to be near each other. Why near each other? The main thing is identical. Because this represents the fact that both chalas are submerged truly in the ultimate makif. It encompasses the details and the nuances and every last element, but b'shava. All equal. The ultimate equalizer. Kamei, because in his presence, Maila Umata Shavin, the highest and the lowest become identical. There's no Elav Alul anymore. The highest Il and the lowest Alul are equal, on equal footing. The Daila Maven, and this will be enough to somebody who understands. And as you could say, and for somebody who doesn't understand, then probably even more won't be enough. In terms of his use of the Lushan Prate Prate double, we can actually suggest something, I think, an interesting wrinkle. And that is that when we spoke about Akudim and, and Shiva Kalim Akudim Kleyacha, so even in Akudim, which is in the world of Ishtalshulus, Bekoach, there's seven potential differentiations. But once the light comes down to the world, once the cloud comes down to the prime, and then goes back up, when it hits the world, there's more than seven. We see billions and billions different differentiations. So when it goes back up to be Nichlal, it's not the Nichlal of seven the way it started. It's Nichlal of billions and billions because it's the or it's bouncing Coming back. back. So Prate Prate is more than the seven. Very good, beautiful, started. yeah. It's much more Prate. Parentheses, he says. Later in Yisra, there'll be a Maimer on Zohar and Shomer. It says on Shabbos. In Yisra, it says, remember Shabbos. In Veschanan, Ten Commandments, it says Shomer. So we say in L'chadoidi, what do we say? L'chadoidi L'kraskala, Zohar V'shomer, B'diburechot. So he says, Shehein Zovin Nukva. One represents masculine energy, one represents feminine energy. Zohar L'dchure, Shomer L'nukva. Zohar is masculine, Shomer is feminine. V'hein Beis Chalas the Lechemishna. Those are the two Chalas of Lechemishna, Zohar and Shomer. There's going to be some Kabbalistic words here, but we want to get to the point. According to the evolution of creation, Malchus femininity is a recipient of masculinity. And Ze'er Ampen, which are the Midas, transcends Malchus. But that's only in Atzillus. Femininity receives from masculinity. But if you go to the essence of the Ein Soif, there's no masculinity giving to femininity. Zohar and Shomer was spoken in one word. What do we care if Hashem said first Zohar and then Shomer? <laughs> Such a big thing, you have to say it together. The Gemara asks, in Parshish Yisroi, the Saras Hadibra says, Zohar is Yom HaShabbos. In Parshas Veschanan, Moshe repeats the Ten Commandments, and from Zohar he changes it to Shomer. How can it be? What did, this, what did it say in the Ten Commandments? Did God say, remember, did he say Shomer? And so Chazal answer, Zohar v'Shomer b'dibur echad nemru masha'ena oizin yechaylo l'shmoya ve'ena peyachal l'dabar. He spoke them both in one utterance, together, one, like one word. I don't know what that means. Either you say Zohar, you say Shomer. It's two different words. It was said as one word together. What's the? Why was it so important to say Zohar and Shomer together? So that's what he's saying. Zohar and Shomer represent actually two different dimensions of reality. This is Zohar, this is Malchus. In Atzilus, one is higher. But in Atzmos, Lagabe Atzmos, it's Bedibur Echad.
Bezeo shal pianista tzorichli is beis chalus the lechem mishnah zubit sanzu. So the two chalus of lechem mishnah represents masculinity and femininity. So there is a world in which there is the differentiation and ilava alu, and then there's that's the world of ar yasher. Then there's the world of ar chayzer. But when you go back to the ultimate, ultimate klal, you have complete uniformity, complete hishtavos between all of the b'chinas and the madregas. And therefore, the two breads of the Lechem Mishnah are not any more ilava'olu, but rather they become completely one. Yeah, Mitzad Atzmus, that's what is, well, you're speaking about the Makif HaKloli. Atzmus ain't soif baruchu is beyond. Atzilus is already the world of, right? Atzilus is already the world of Tikkun. What is the whole system? But by going to him, I couldn't have in in that seal was also quite this because I couldn't have already has. In he calls I couldn't part of say the Rishonim. In a chenami, in a chenami, yeah, in a chenami. This is even beyond the Kudim. You're right. Now this this last piece is very brief. It's very concise. So it has to be it has to be deciphered. The point that the Balatanya is making is as follows: the two breads. Basically, the Lechem Mishnah of Shabbos represent two paradigms of existence. And that's the Lechem Mishnah. One is a Friday food, and one is a Shabbos food. Now, in the Midbar, it happened to be that both of them were Mon. They were Lechem and Hashemayim. But let's remember, our Lechem Mishnah is not Mon. Our Lechem Mishnah is Lechem in Aretz. It's good bread that you buy in the bakery. Or your wife makes it, so maybe heavenly in one way. But in terms of practicality, it's still lechem and aretz. It's not man. And if I'm not mistaken, the challah that we eat has a little psoilus, no? Especially certain types of challahs, where they're mahader, to have even more psoilus than anything else. So it's not mamish, our lechem and ashamayim. But nonetheless, our lechem mishnah is trying to represent something. What is it representing? So there's two breads. One is the bread of the weekday. One is the bread that was given on Friday, but it was given for Shabbos. One bread was given for Friday for Friday. One lechem was given for Friday for Shabbos, so that's already a higher bread. So what does this represent in our world, the two lechem mishnas? One lechem is Friday lechem, which is lechem in Aretz. The other lechem that we're introducing in the lechem mishnah is lechem in Hashemayim, as best as we can celebrate lechem in Hashemayim. It's the special staple of, of unique food, of heavenly food, of spiritual food, which came down in the Midbar, of course, for 40 years, but we don't have access to that. So we have the Lechem Mishnah. So one bread is representing Lechem in Aretz, and the second Lechem is representing Lechem in Hashemayim. Which, as we know, one represents Toyu and Tikkun, or the beater of Toyu through Tikkun, put it more specifically. One is Toyu, that it finds its healing through Tikkun, and one is Akudim, where there's no differentiation, there's no Psoilus, that's Lechem in Hashemayim. Now, which one goes on top of the other? Of course one goes on top of the other. How could it not go on top of the other? Lechem and Hashemayim must reign supreme over Lechem and Aretz. This is heaven, this is earth. Heaven is higher than earth. That's why we call it heaven. Lechem and Hashemayim trumps Lechem and Aretz. No pun intended. Lechem and Hashemayim reigns supreme. It gains. It has the dominance, it has the upper hand. This is Elyon, this is Tachtel. Let's speak about it in spiritual terms, or psychological terms, apply it. What are the two paradigms in existence between these two things? One is the element of life where there is already diversity, where there is individuality, where the Ein Saif is not felt anymore. It's basically the world we know, Leviathan, right? Where it's basically you're trying to pave a road in the jungle of history, where there's I and there's you, and there's constant conflict, even conflict within the I, never mind conflict between I and thou. Because our world is based on fragmentation, compartmentalization, egotism. Every reality, every beast, every creature is completely self-contained. I have my ego, you got your ego. I am defensive for my stuff, you're defensive of your stuff. That's the paradigm we live in. It's the paradigm that allows for all conflict that begins the moment man is created. Adam and Chava are created, they have two children, and the first thing they do is they kill each other. This is the Bruchim Habayim into... Welcome to the human race. Welcome to the earthly planet. And the jungle ain't too much better. It's just genetic over there. It's instinctive. By us, we have that element, that extra element of, of, of evil with maliciousness. 
with 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 intent. With a with with malacha I kill you for the sake of killing you. The lioness doesn't kill you for the sake of killing. Pashut hungry, he's looking for his own man. This is the best way he could feed himself. He doesn't have other access. Okay, but that's the the, the, the gradations of of uh, human banality of of what we're capable of. But this is a world where there is compartmentalization. The Ein Soif becomes eclipsed by absolute diversity, absolute detachment. We are detached from each other, and we seek detachment. Just take any person sitting in this room and say, you work for me for the rest of your life, and you're in my domain, and in my Daladamas, and unless we are so dysfunctional that we don't realize we could be free, there's a part of us that revolts. The Maral writes in Sefer Gvurus Hashem, he says, why do we celebrate Pesach? Mele, when the Jews left Egypt, they were free. The Maral says, we're free. He lives in the 1500s in Prague. Every Pesach he's worried about another blood libel that's going to accuse Jews of murdering Christian children. This is called freedom. Why are we celebrating Pesach? And the Maral says, Mele, when Jews were emancipated, but much of their history they were enslaved. Why are you celebrating Pesach? It's almost an irony, a joke. Jews in the Warsaw Ghetto are making a seder. What are you making a seder for? So the Maharal says that what happened by Yitzhiya Mitzrayim was not that they went free. What happened by Yitzhiya Mitzrayim was it created the concept of a free human being. And no enslavement subsequently can change that. Meaning, the sense of freedom doesn't have to do with my circumstances. Even if my circumstances may be challenging, the fact that I feel abhorrent about it, the fact that I revolt against it, even internally, that is because you're a free person. You don't want oppression. Even if you're oppressed, but you hate it, you're frustrated, that's a good thing. That means that's freedom. That's exercising your freedom. Huh? Sivlas Mitzrayim. Sivlas Mitzrayim, yeah. The Chidush Yarim said. basically Victor Frankl a few years earlier. Yeah. Yeah, Victor Frankl, yeah. Victor Frankl said it was the only thing he can own in Auschwitz, right? Attitude. Attitude. Yeah. I will liberate you from being soivel Mitzrayim. The beginning of exile starts when you tolerate. When you tolerate dysfunction, and that becomes the status quo. When you don't call a spade a spade. You may have been abused, but know what it is and know the evil of it so that you could fight it. Fight it for yourself and fight it for, for others, for loved ones. And that's freedom. So therefore, we live in a world where we seek to go out of the collective grasp into the individual grasp. The worst thing you can tell a teenager is, you were in, a mother could tell a teenager is, you were in my womb and you will remain in my womb forever. Yes, mothers would crave that often. Sometimes they look at their 60-year-old babies and they still see them in their womb. And they treat them that way because you didn't really get separated yet. You think you're separate, but we know the truth. You're still mom's boy. But we know that that, that is true. There's a part of us that is in our mother's womb forever. There are deep connections, and you have to acknowledge that. And as we learned, the more you acknowledge that, the more you can actually leave the womb, right? But this is the world in which we, we emerge we emerge into differentiation. We emerge into identity. There's the deeper world, the world of achtos, the world of unity, the world where there's no differentiation. Ultimately, that's the world of akudim. Akudim b'kliyachad. Why is there no differentiation? Because what's felt over there is a hechitimtza in the Ein Soif. It's a reflection of Ein Soif. So as we spoke many times, there's chesed, gvur, teferis, But what is really chesed? Chesed is another way that infinity expresses itself. Gvur is another way infinity expresses itself. Are they different? They're different, but they're completely one, because Ein Saif is one. All the colors are expressing ultimately one truth. It's not about the color. It's about the transcendent truth that the individual color expresses. It's about the painting that's expressed through all of the various details. It's about the music that it's expressed through the entire symphony, through the entire orchestra. It's about life that's expressed through the various limbs of the organism. But all these metaphors are already in worlds of differentiation. Because you could see differentiation in the body. In the world of Akudim, it's so subtle, you don't see differentiation. So in the process of Lechem Mishnah, this is Lechem and Hashemayim, this is Lechem and Aretz. This is heavenly unity, and this is earthly fragmentation. This is a world of holistic oneness, and this is a world of compartmentalization. This is a world in which we're all connected, we're all attached, we're all one. There's no distinction. 
we're all part of the Ein Sof, we're all submerged in it. And this is the world of complete differentiation. Everything is differentiated. Everything thinks, seeks to differentiate. Right? So now you have, say, in a relationship, this is the tension always between the two. Are we one or are we different? Every husband and wife has to go through this process. Are we one or are we different? And the answer is, you're both. <laughs> you're one and you're different. And here's the key. For you to be different successfully, you have to be able to be one. And when you're truly different, then you can also become one. And when you're truly one, you can also become different. The two are, the two are very deeply connected. But there's that, and the same is true with the Jewish people, the same is true with the world. There are the moments when you're lost in oneness, when you forfeit your identity. In Rav Cook's writings, this is the euphoric moment of his scalalus, where all the details and all the differentiations, he always writes about this very poetically, are forfeited and subsumed and submerged in the, in the word. He loves the word kalal and the collective energy of, of, of the lu'um, of, of, of the national identity of the Jewish people. There was a poet who once wrote, She walked into Jerusalem after the Six-Day War when it was liberated, and she said, I forgot my name. That's how she described her feeling. She basically melted in 4,000 years of Jewish history. There's no me. There is basically a transcendent collective entity called Knesset Yisrael. Right? That's a process that's very, very profound, very deep. And in the evolution of the world, one infinitely precedes the other. So the Lechem Mishnah, this is Lechem in Haaretz, where there's always Birurim. There's always the Birur between the ego and the divine, between mindfulness and mindlessness, between eating like a beast, or even lower than a beast, and eating L'Shem Shemayim, between seeing the purpose of existence and seeing the purposeless of existence. That's basically the Birur of Toihu working out your issues and aligning your own self with the divine self, but that's a process of biru. You have to work it out. In Akudim, there's no biru, there's no psoilus, there's complete achdus, there's complete oneness. That's the system of nigla. That's the system of nigla. This is the system of Judaism. This is the system. There's hierarchies, there's ishtalshalus, there's maila and there's mata. And we judge things based on that. We judge things based on maila and mata. And that's a real reality in the world of Nigla. What do we mean by the world of Nigla? When we say Nigla, we, Nigla usually in these kinds of means Nigla of Torah. Shas, Poiskim, Shnayas, Gemara, Shulchan Aruch, Mepharshim, Shalas the realm of Nigla of Torah. Kabbalah, you'll start talking about other Svarim, Torah Sanister. Here, obviously, he means Nigla and Nister in that sense, but in a much deeper sense. Nigla is basically the way the world emerges, the way reality is articulated, the way it's revealed. There's ilava alu. Everything is ilava alu. But then there's the reality of nister. The reality of nister doesn't compete with the reality of nigla. The reality of nister simply identifies a dimension that is not benigla. It's benister, and that reality always comes out not in ur yashar, but in ur chayzer. In Ar Yashar, it's what you're revealing. It's what you're sharing. What you're sharing is basically coming from the part of the self that is prepared to reveal itself. Ar Chayzer is the unexpected light that shocks you. The Gemara says, Mitalmid, I learned a lot from my teachers, more from my friends. The most from my students. What does that mean? He's teaching his students. How does he learn most from his students? That's Ar Chayzer. Archeuser is unexpected. Archeuser is, Baltanya says, sometimes you, 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 you start speaking, you start saying and explaining something, and in the middle, because you're speaking to others, there's an Archeuser that comes back and it brings out new ideas that you could have never experienced if it would have, the information would have remained in you. If the information would have remained in you, so then there's how much I, I'm getting out there. But when I give out the earth that comes back, Urchhoiser basically goes into a deeper place and brings forth, it arouses insights that I could not articulate before. That's the Urchhoiser, that's a different type of Ur. That's the Ur that returns to you. That he can't it's not what he prepared, it's not what he's going to express. It's something that happens in the Rav only as a result of the Talmudim. 
Ein melech beloyam. That's the Archaizer. What's the in this in this sense? What what's in, in the world of Nister? The world of Nister, you have a new reality. What's the reality? The reality is the way everything goes back up <laughs> to its original, original source. Kivayachal, what he says here in Makif Akloli, Makif Apashit, Koyach Akloli, or as he puts it here, Atzmus, Atzmus Ein Saif Baruchu, in the ultimate core. Here, the two breads are not any more higher and lower. It's no higher and lower anymore. Here, the two breads are completely equal. They're completely Bishav. Alpinigla, no way. One is higher, one is lower. Alpinister, they're What makes lechem in aretz and lechem in hashemayim b'shava? One is a world of complete unity, the obliteration of diversity. One is a world of complete diversity where they have all these problems of toyhu, of chaos, of egotism, of a breakdown of the system. There's a lack of cohesion, a lack of unity, a world that doesn't work together. People that don't work together disintegration and so forth, because ultimate detachment. And then Tikkun is trying to pick up the pieces and, you know, bring it together. But the pshat really is that the fact that Akudim has to, and this is very subtle, the fact that Akudim has to stifle differentiation is already a betrayal of truth. Now, we have to say this with a lot of caution, because Akudim is Giluya ain't safe. It's not such a betrayal of truth. But the fact is that its format, its version of ain't safe is one that seeks the unity of everything. It seeks the obliteration of self. That's the oneness, that's the truth it projects. Is that a truth? Of course it's a truth. But as we learn here, it's not, what do they say in court? The whole The whole truth. <laughs> the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So are we going back to Akudim with our course, or are we going back no, to No, no, beyond Akudim, yeah. Beyond Akudim. And here we have something very subtly profound. And that is that Toihu, in some ways, is a rebellion against Akudim. Toihu is, you know, they say in therapy that children articulate the subconscious emotions of parents that parents would never be able to articulate to themselves. Sometimes a woman is having certain feelings towards her husband that she doesn't know about. And her children will start talking about their father in a particular way. What they're expressing is mom's emotions. Or many different examples, dad's emotions, or different attitudes in life where they're picking up on energy that the parents can't pick up. But it's very true. And therefore you could learn who you are from your children, not B'derech Ayasher, B'derech Archeizer. That's Archeizer. Archeizer is a lie that you could never pick up on your own. It's not what you give forth. Yo, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a nice guy. I love my husband. Really? Let's, let's, let's speak to your son. <laughs> Lucas, Lucas. Miriam Basbilga. The end of Sukkah. Lucas, Lucas. So what happens here is that uh, Toihu is basically a child of Akudim. So Tikkun is a good child. Tikkun is a child who goes through the system very well. You know, he's that, everyone has that boy, you know, from 3 o'clock he already was learning his Chumr, at 3 years old he was already learning. Never had a hard day with him. You know, he was always ready for the bus 25 minutes before. You get a call once a year from the principal, Anachas, 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 he comes home, Talmud HaShavua, Talmud HaChaydash, gets the prizes, and so on and so forth. Teenage, Bar Mitzvah, you, know, you almost don't notice him, he's so good, right? He works, balance, structure, Amachaya, you send him off, Bar Mitzvah, Yeshiva, marriage, Abinyan Adiyad, okay. Be'ezer Hashem. And then you have that child, who Baruch Hashem, keeps you up, Day and night, for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, everything is toyum. There's nothing that works. There's nothing that works. There's no balance. There's no structure. There's no satisfaction. It's very, very intense. It's very intense. There's a lot of energy there. It's very easy to dismiss toyum, to say, we don't deal with toyum. Our house is tickled. But as al Rebbe taught us, there's no such a thing. Toyu is the core of reality. Toyu is the gas of reality. This child is really bringing forth a real powerful energy that you need, that everybody needs. It's just distorted. He has no place for it. He has no context for it. 
But in many ways, what Toyu is sometimes doing is, it's the child who is revolting <laughs> without knowing that he's revolting, subconsciously or consciously against the truth of Akudim that says that infinity excludes differentiation. Because that is already a version of truth. This is one of the Alter Rebbe's great chidushim. That to turn the whole world into a kalal is very close to truth. But really, it's also a distortion of truth. Because the real Ein Saif has no definition. Not even the definition that it has no definition. Even that definition, that it excludes diversity, that real truth means attachment versus detachment. Real truth means that there's no I. Real truth means that when we sense truth, there's no differentiation, there's no world. There's only cohesion. There's only infinity, which is the truth of Akudim. And yes, you and I know that in the world of Nigla, that is truth. That is truth. There's no conflict. There's no ego. There's simcha. There's serenity. There's oneness. And yet there's still a deeper truth. The deeper truth comes out in the world of Nister that basically says both breads are the same. Really? Lechem and Hashemayim and Lechem and Oiz became the same? Toyu and Tikkun and Akudim became the same? Here there's no Psoilus. Here there's Psoilus. Here there's Ain't Saif. Here nobody knows they Ain't Saif anymore. Everyone is busy figuring themselves out because they don't know who they are. If we would know who we are, we wouldn't have to figure ourselves out because we wouldn't be busy with ourselves because we would know that ourselves is a reflection of the divine. And yet, in a very interesting way, the struggle of Toyo and Tikkun is not just a struggle to undo the quantum leap of Akudim. It's also to undo Akudim. It's not just between Akudim and Toyo there's such a quantum leap and we're left with the pieces and we have to pick it up. It's also... Because Akudim itself is a story. It's part of Ishtalshlus. It's part of... No, 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 we don't mean over here that these are mistakes. This is all, of course, inherent to the fabric of existence to produce the reality that, that Hashem wants to produce and to create the whole drama of what we call existence and Avaitis Hashem. But in this realm, the two breads are completely identical because as much as God wants unity... God wants diversity. And as much as you can find truth in unity, you can find the same truth in diversity because the ultimate truth is not defined by either. It transcends even Akudim. Even Akudim is the way it's Akud Bikli Echad. It's a Kalal that takes all the Pratim and turns it into a Kalal. In the ultimate source, you don't call it a source. A source already means you're the embryo you're the mucker, you're the mother of all of the pratam, of all of the details. It's being beyond the mucker of details. And therefore, and therefore, what happens in there, when you tell, we're dealing with that space, differentiation has the same truth as unity. The same truth as unity. Even though in the process, you can only recognize the truth if you understand the world of unity. Because if you begin with the world of differentiation... Ultimately, you end up only with differentiation. So, in other words, in other words, in the ultimate relationship between man and God, it's not that the relationship is basically that we get lost in the light of oneness, and there's no you in the ultimate relationship. There's no that is a very enlightened path. That is a very enlightened practice where you get completely lost in the relationship and there's no you. But there's something even deeper. And that is that the process of creation was that God wanted you. He wanted a relationship with you. So in many ways, we become... We become I'm going to say this in a dramatic way, but you should take it with a grain of salt. You're not only divine when you're divine. You're divine also when you're being you. And in many ways, you're more divine then. Because creation was not about God wanting himself. <laughs> he had himself before creation. Creation was about, about God wanting, wanting you. <laughs> so in the process of you, that is where the real truth of the divine exists. In that process of differentiation, in that process of you. Now, 
from our perspective, from the perspective of Toyu, that can develop into the extreme individualism where what you might call secularism, where it is just an apathy to any transcendent truth. Here we're talking about the opposite. In the Ur Chayzer, which takes you back to the ultimate Atzmus. So here, the Klal and the Prat completely coexist, and the Klal doesn't stifle the Prat. Kamei, Mailan, Mata become Shavim. So automatically, how is it expressed in the Halachas of Lechem Mishnah? Automatically, there's going to be complete uniformity between the two breads, to the point that the breads will be picked up, and their backs will be placed against each other, and you won't even be able to recognize the difference, so to speak, of the breads, because both breads are completely integrated. This is deeper than the man of Akudim. This is the concept of Shabbos that could unite the Lechem Mishnah, in the original Friday, there was the meal of Friday, and there was the meal of Shabbos. Our Lechem Mishnah is doing something else. Our Lechem Mishnah is trying to integrate two different experiences. The experience of Lechem in Haaretz and the experience of Lechem in Hashemayim. One is Elyon and Tachten, and one is complete, complete oneness. And therefore, generally speaking, this is not just about Lechem Mishnah. If you think about this, you have here a paradigm of how Nigla and Nister work. I told you many times, but Al-Tareb, everything is with systems. Nigla and Nister is not just Vertlach of Nigla, Vertlach of Nister. It's two systems of thought. And both systems are very real systems. There's the system of how Nigla works it out. And that's a system. And you're not going to go away from that system. Because that system is legitimate. You know, you can't take into consideration quantum mechanics when you're trying to put coffee into your styrofoam cup. Because you're going to go crazy. Or when you're trying to play basketball, you can't take into consideration quantum mechanics because the ball is not even here. The ball is somewhere else. <laughs> so therefore you think you got a basket, you didn't get any basket. Or when you're going skiing and you take into consideration quantum mechanics, when you're going up, you're, supposed, you're going to be going down. So there is a world in which systems must reign supreme. There's also a world of Nister. The world of Nister is a different system. Which is true? In the world of Nigla, this is true. In the world of Nista, this is true. Which is true? Are all Jews equal or are all Jews not equal? Are all Jews equal or all Jews not equal? Both. Huh? Both. Both. Yeah. There's the world of Nigla, there's the world of Nister. Is physicality and spirituality of equal value? There's the world of Nigla, there's the world of Nister. The challenge is when the world of Nigla is completely divorced from the world of Nister, ultimately it lacks a certain profound truth and sophistication. I'll just give one interesting example that's very, very timely, constantly, and there's already time then. The issue, for example, of learning all day or working. This is one of the sugis that a lot of younger lights struggle with. I get quite a lot of calls. Uh, this person is, is having a very hard time because he has to support his family. And he was told that ultimately the objective in life is to sit and learn a whole day. And his wife was told that he should marry a woman who is going to work and support the family. And now suddenly there's a couple of kids later and the Shver said, come on, come on, go go work. And this is, it's, this is so for some people it's... Uh, we get cynical about it in certain circles. But you have to know for some of this is an existential crisis. This is very, very deep. And he goes to work because he has to, unless he's going to be seen as a Hefke Jung, but he feels, a younger man called me, he's in Kailu for 18 years, 18 years, and he, he says he feels like a, he feels filthy and dirty and, and lowly and a betrayer. He betrays, betrayed God. He betrayed Torah. He betrayed the truth. He betrayed the Nefesh Achayim. He betrayed, uh, he betrayed his yeshiva upbringing. He betrayed his Rosh Hashiva. He betrayed the ultimate tachlis of the world, which is Torah, 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 Torah. And of course, you could bring a hundred Mamari Chazal, actually. You could bring nine thousand Mamari Chazal. About our same teras chikva, malach techara, and what a talmud chacham is, and the, what limud atayr is, and we learned a maimer if you remember before shvuas about Torah and mitzvahs and so forth. Well, so purim last year, chayiv and ishlub some b'purim what Torah is, right? Didn't the biggest chacham all have jobs? They worked. Really? Which Jewish history are you reading? 
no, Which books of Jewish history are you reading? Okay, so tell this younger man. You want I should give him your number? You want I should give him your number? The Mechilta says, Sheishis Yomim Tavoid, Zu Mitzvah Asay. So I told him, the same God who invented Torah says, Sheishis Vosvilsta, what do you want from yourself? Sheishis Yom Tavid, Zu Mitzvah, Zagamari and Brachis Lamedvav, Harbe Asukir Ashbi, Veloyalsa Biyadam. Harbe Asukir Ashbi said, Learn, Harbe Asukir Ashbi, also Biyadam. Bishmal said, You have to have both. So what do you want? You want to be better than Abishmal? Abishmal said also be other. How many Tanayim and Amirayim? The Gemara says, like you said, had jobs. Why why are you why are you knocking yourself down? Why are you knocking yourself? And what about a person who can't sit a whole day? A lot of people by nature, it's not what they're made for. Some people are, are made for that. They're made to write, they're made to teach, they're made to you know, you could go. But a lot of people are different, yeah. They have different talents, different skills. Are these mistakes? That almost God created all these skills, this creativity, this certain nature. It's like something they have to they have to break and they have to crush. So that's where it's very important to understand that Judaism operates in two dimensions, and they're both equally true. In one dimension, we speak about hierarchy. You speak about the fact that you can't compare the time that you're learning or davening to the time that you're working. This is a time of kedusha. It's a time of chayil. This is a time of kol secha. And this is a time of, uh, of dveikus. When you're sitting by a blad gemara, it's not like when you're sitting by a computer doing sales. It's two separate things. Halachically, it's two separate things. This is a mitzvah. This is not a mitzvah. I can't compare when I'm sleeping to when I'm davening, etc., etc. And that's very true with all the ramifications. That's where one bread is on top of another bread. There's ilava alul, there's priorities, there's distinctions, there's definitions. In the world of Nister, suddenly we reveal a truth where they're starting to make the distinctions in a very, very deep place and saying that this is ultimately higher than this. When you use the word that this is ultimately superior than this, you're not touching the MS Hashem La'ilam. Ultimate truth is where God is. And where God is, is where He wants you to be. <laughs> And where he wants you to be is, there's a moment he wants me to be subsumed in the cloud. And there's a moment he wants me to be differentiated in the prat. There's a moment he summons me to be in one place. There's a moment he summons me, David al-Bnei Yisrael to travel. There's the time he wants me to be in the base Medrash. And there's the time he wants me to be called, And in his atzmus, Milo Mata become Shava. They become completely, completely identical. Huh? There's Bechira everywhere. There's Bechira everywhere. But the point is that you reveal that there's an MS here, and Mitzadat Nekuda, Mitzadat Nekuda of the MS, then there's no, you don't, you don't have to make these distinctions. It's not like here you're Jewish, and here you're not Jewish. When you're inside isolation, you're holy. And when you're out in the real world, now you compromise your holiness. That's the Lechem Mishnah Zal Gabezah. In a deeper truth, Maloy Chalaretz Kvaidai. There's a word from the Baal Shem Tev, very, very, very powerful word. It says, Mishich, the Gemara says in Brachas, Mishacharav Beis Hamikdash, Amar Rabbi Yechanan. Mishacharav Beis Hamikdash, Enloy Lakadish Baruchu Ba'ilami Aladalad Amashal Alachib Levat. The Beis Hamikdash was destroyed. Hashem has in His world only the four Amas of Halacha. So literally, it means there was a Beis Hamikdash. Once there's no Beis Hamikdash, what are we left with? Four cubits of Halacha. So the Baal Shem Tov said, Pshat is as follows: Mishecharav Beis Hamikdash. You know how you know that there's a Churban Beis Hamikdash? You know what the symptom of Churban Beis Hamikdash is? That people think the symptom of Churbeis Amikdash is that people believe that God is only in Dalar Allah. The moment I go out into the world, it's all over. Now suddenly there's no divinity. That's Churbeis Amikdash. The real reality is Ein Oid Malvadai. Ein Oid Malvadai means that the truth of godliness could be seen and experienced everywhere. Yes, in the right context, with the right attitude, with the right perspective. 
Now, <laughs> the Balatanya had a little bit of a difficult time with that Pirush, because he was a big Balnigla. They called him the Litvak. So in Tanya, he reconciles the two. In Tanya, in Perik Lamadalad, he taiches, literally, that Hashem is found in Dalad Amishalalacha. And when he says that, when you find Hashem in Dalad Amishalalacha, then you could see that the whole world is a, the whole world is unified, which is really, of course, what the Baal Shem Tov meant. Hashem didn't mean to say there's no. He meant to say, don't worship, don't make idols of anything. You see, Nister tells you, don't turn anything into an idol. What's not an idol? An idol doesn't mean it's not holy. The the Meshachachma writes, the Asameach writes, that Moshe broke the luchas. Why? Because the Jews started to see God as being an object. So you have to explain, the luchas are not holy. We don't associate, we don't turn holiness into a model, into an idol. It could be holy, but an idol means, this is, this is, this is it. This is a fixed idol. He had to break the luchas to show that truth is transcendent. So whenever you take something even holy, you could turn it into an idol. What do we mean an idol? An idol means that it's basically a certain definition of what God is, and that's it. It's not a holy thing, but it still becomes an idol. The dakus, it becomes, that's what the Meshachachon writes about the luchas. This is where God is. Don't turn me into a pesel. This doesn't mean the luchas are not holy. The luchas were holier than everything else. But it means don't start worshipping this one version, this one icon, and this becomes the full picture of reality. Somebody who says, there's nothing to Yiddishkeit, there's no, there's no value to a Jew unless he sits and learns all day. That's Hepecha Torah. That's not Torah. That's not real Torah. Torah doesn't speak that way. Torah speaks that there's no Dveikus. The Dveikus of Torah is, is the deepest Dveikus. Ain't Saif. What do you mean there's no value? There's, there's thousands of people who have to work. So there's no God over there. There's no value. And what about people who have a different type of IQ? What about people that have different types of bodies? Different types? So what, what's there? There's no God over there. It becomes a krumkite. It becomes unfair. It's a betrayal of Torah. It turns Torah into a tool for arrogance. Rather a tool for true oneness. When Torah is really not an island, it's connected with real God, so then fakert. Then Torah itself tells you, not only but real Torah redefines the entire experience of all aspects of life. We don't divorce anything from truth. When you divorce anything from truth, you're already stuck in the realm of Ishtalshalus. In the ultimate, ultimate truth, there's nothing divorced from it. And therefore, don't divorce you also. <laughs> don't destroy individuality by saying, it's not true, it's Achdus. No, no, no. Achdus is version 1. Point, what is it, version 1.0. Oh. But then there's a deeper version, 2.0. 1.0 is 1, it's Achdus. 2.0 is a deeper version. Why? 2 is not greater than 1. Depends how you look at it. If 2 is competing with the 1, then it is wor- then 1 is of course greater than 2. But if 2 is really the 1 that is not defined by being 1, so then 2 is a deeper form of oneness. That's why Torah wasn't given in the first month, it wasn't given in the second month. The Gemara says in Shabbos it was given the third month. Because 1 represents Akudim. Two represents Toyu, with his Leinagu Kavad Zebazah, the split, and three represents Tikkun, which is basically two coming together, not by destroying each other. Then you don't have three, then you're back to one. And that's really why Sivan is the month of marriage. What is really marriage? Should you be one or should you be two? We're learning now about the Mazalas. So the first three Mazalas is Tle, Shur, Tum, a sheep, a bull, and twins. What's the difference? Sheep. Anybody here is a sheep? No? Okay, I'm glad. Your wife told you not to answer? <laughs> a sheep is basically a shefala. A shefala. Submissive. Docile. What did somebody say? I always have the last two words in my house. Yes, dear. Whatever you want. What's a shay? Who don't start up with a bull who's angry? A shay shanagach. A shay can bull. No, you see here what happens? We grow up, we're subservient, we're tleh. And then at some point you say, enough, I'm not a sheep anymore, I rebel. 
I have identity. I become a bull. What's the objective? Where do you remain? In the Tla or in the Shire? So the answer is to Umim. To Umim is very deep. The Shemesh Shmuel writes this in Sphere Simon. What's to Umim? To Umim are twins. A twin is a very interesting phenomenon. When you look at a twin, you look at your twin brother or sister, you're not looking at yourself. You're looking at somebody else. But who do you see? You see yourself. You're looking at somebody else, but you see yourself. In other words, you learn that you could see yourself also in somebody else, through somebody else. It doesn't destroy the self when you create space for the other. On the contrary. You look at your, you're looking at the other person, you're looking at a stranger, a different organism. What do you see? You see you. That's where the two could come together. Sure doesn't mean that I have no relationships anymore. <laughs> That's where Tikkun has to speak to Toyu again. So Toyu is MS. Toyu is revolting against the lie that God has to look like God. You hear what I'm saying? Toyu revolts against the truth that God has to look like God. How do you know what God has to look like? Maybe God wants to look like you. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.